bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together? We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, Hebrews chapter 4, but before we get there, let's pray uh, together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that as we just read a moment ago, that it is uh, profitable, that it is breathed out by you, that it teaches and corrects us and rebukes us. And so we pray that as we open it this morning, that we would come to it with that heart uh, that you are living and active and you meet us in your word. And so we pray that you would do just that this morning. I ask that your spirit would lead and guide us in all truth as we do so. Uh, So we confess each week we cannot do this without you. And so we ask that you would be in this place, that you'd be moving freely, that you'd be applying the words of your eternal life-giving word uh, to us, to our lives, that you would change us uh, more fully into your image and that we would leave here having seen you more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I read uh, some statistics this week from a study from last year. I think I read it last year when it came out, and I've kind of forgotten a lot of it. Barna Research Group does a lot of research on the church, religious uh, things, Christianity in particular, but all sorts of different uh, things pertaining to religion and what we believe and and so forth. And in every couple years, they do... Uh, a survey or a study that centers around biblical literacy, how well we know the Bible uh, kind of as a general society, but then also specifically within the church. And so I read that research this week and uh, what I saw was 79 percent of people today, not just in the church, but people in general believe the Bible to be a sacred book, that it's good to read, that it's, it's worthy of our time, that there's something that we should look to and maybe read and, and at least uh, Check out every once in a while. And so 79% of our society sees that. 60% say that it's the inspired word of God. In America today, 60% believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now you can get into parsing what that means and what people mean by inspired word and all that. But we'll just leave it there uh, for our purposes this morning. But 60%. But then they also question those that are part of. Uh, faithfully part of a local body, a church. They're part of a church body and how they see the Bible. And what they found is that uh, 19% read the Bible every day. 19% of those that are part of a local body uh, see it as important and they read their Bible every day. 40% read it once a week. 22% read it once a month or less. And 19% or 18%, I'm sorry, uh, don't read it at all, ever. And this is people that are part of a church that are going, that are active, that are there. And so what you see in these statistics is you start to see that we say that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but then how many people are actually spending time in it doesn't exactly line up with that. And so I was very kind of taken back as I read that. But then as I read on, it said 81% of those people that are, that are saying that it's God's word believe that they're at least somewhat are highly knowledgeable of what the Bible actually says and teaches. 81% say that. I thought, okay. So that's good. That's kind of encouraging. But then the next thing they read, as I read on, uh, one of the next questions was, 50% of the people thought Sodom and Gomorrah were a husband and wife? <laughs> They're not, by the way, if you're not sure. Uh, it's, it's two cities in the Old Testament. Uh, 12% thought Joan of Arc was Noah's hus- or wife. 12%, right? That's not just biblical illiteracy, by the way. That's broader than that. Uh, but you start to read all these things that it says and the different things that are there. Uh, 43% can't name the first five books of the Bible. Uh, over 50% can't tell you five of the Ten Commandments. 
And so you start to read some of the things that come out of that. And basically what they said, and they've said this for years now whenever they come out with this study, is that basically we don't know the Bible. As a society in general, and even the church particularly, we don't know the Bible very well at all. And so I start there, not not to make, if you sit here today and you don't know some of those things or whatever, that's not to make you feel bad, that's not to put you down, that's not anything. But it's very relevant to what we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. And it's very relevant to what we're going to look at in Hebrews for today. And so I want us just to think on that this morning as we do. What does that have to do with this fourth chapter of Hebrews? But more importantly than that, forget Hebrews for a minute. What does it have to do with you? Why is it important to you personally? Why does that matter? Why should we know the Bible? Why is that the case? And so we say as a church often that we do believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I take it to the next step and say, I believe that it's inerrant. But it's without errors and it's original uh, form and it's right interpretation. There's no errors in God's word. And so when we start to think that way and talk that way, we believe that Hebrews is part of God's inspired, inerrant word. And what it tells us is vitally important for our life. And so what we've been seeing as we walk through Hebrews is it's encouraging us that God's word is vital uh, to our life. To our faith, where we're going and what we do. We've been saying over and over almost every week that Hebrews in a lot of ways is this idea of a journey from weariness to rest in the midst of a crazy world. That we're seeking to be able to rest. We actually talked about that last week. This idea of rest. And what we see in Hebrews is that the word is absolutely vital to that process. And it tells us this over and over. It comes back to this frequently. That in order to rest, that we have to put our faith in Christ and his finished work and what he's done. That's what we said last week. All the ways that we seek to rest by controlling things and getting them all in order and all those things. And the truth is we never do that. We never get everything all in order and get it put right. And so we have to look to Christ and his finished work and what he's done. But as we grow in Christ and who he is, we have to believe and trust that God has given us, that Jesus is God and he's come to us. That we can come to him through his word. And so a part of that, a big part of that, of resting in the finished work of Christ is diligent pursuit of him. And the primary means to do so is his word. And so when we start to put those statistics together with what Hebrews said, I'm going to say it real simply this way. If we want to have that journey from weariness to rest in our life, the joy that we desire, the rest that we desire... The growth in Christ, that is direct contradiction to those, what those statistics say. We are going to struggle, and it's going to continue to be a struggle, when we remove the primary means in which God has spoken to us, and we go, that's not important. And so as we look at Hebrews 4 today, that's what I want us to think about. I want us to pose this question. If those statistics are to be trusted, if they're right, the question that comes to my mind is why is the word of God, if 60% of our nation, 60% of people believe this is the inspired word of God, then why is the word not dwelling richly in us? That's the first question I want us to consider. Hebrews is going to tell us some reasons. And then secondly, I want us to just give you some very practical helps to put your trust in this book. That I would submit to you that it's not just a book. And so I want to just give some things to encourage you in that. But then lastly, what happens when we do dwell richly in the word? What does it tell us is happening? Why is it a good thing? Why should we even care? 
And so that's where we're going this morning. That's what I want us to look at. And so let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 together. We looked at this kind of in a big overview last week. This week we're really going to look at the first two verses and then verses 11 and 12. That's really where we're going to spend our time. And so read with me there, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it came to them. Just by way of reminder, the them there is those that have come out of Egypt with Moses. Right? He's, he's built this whole case on the way they didn't enter the rest. And so that's who he's talking about. So the word came to them, or to us just as it came to them, those that came out of Egypt. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now look at verse 11. Let us therefore to strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so I want us to think about that picture that's there for just a second. One of the things that came out in that uh, study they did about people not reading the Bible. And as we, we pose the question, why are we not dwelling richly in the scriptures? Well, the Barna study says that a, an overwhelming majority, I think it was like 60 something percent, would agree that they should read the Bible. That it would benefit them, it would be good, but they don't read it as much as they want. Or they don't read it, but they would like to. Something like that. And the number one reason that they said over and over, there's a reason that they didn't read it, is just simply they didn't have enough time. Now that's exactly what we were talking about last week as far as rest goes. We're so busy that we don't actually have time to stop and just rest. Physically rest. Now we talked about deeper spiritual rest in Christ, but just physically we don't have time to stop. And so we said this last week, I won't rehash all this. We do live in an ever increasing busy world. Technology has made us closer together. It is hard to turn everything off and rest. It is difficult, the demands we have. But as I thought about that answer of people saying, I don't have time to do it. I would like to, but I don't have time. I was thinking of an exercise we did with some of the guys in the discipleship house a couple years ago. We sat down together and we figured out how many waking hours we had in a week. And all the guys wrote out, right? If you sleep eight hours a week, you still have 112 waking hours in the week. And you start to figure out how much time you go to work and how much time you go to class or or whatever it is you do. But the the truth is most of us found as we sat down and figured that out that we, we end up with like 40 or 50 hours left in the end. And so we started to talk about, well, if I don't have time to do this, where is that 40 or 50 hours going? If you look at the statistics in our country, this shocked me as I read this this week. Uh, maybe it doesn't you. Maybe it does. The average American watches television four hours and 51 minutes a day. A day. Right? And when I first read that, I went, that's crazy. There's no way. I'm not even in my house for four hours and 51 minutes. How is that possible? But then as I started to reflect on it and think about it, Hey, when football season starts, I have no problem setting aside four and a half hours, right? Almost every Saturday. And then another hour to watch Sports Center, to watch the highlights of the games I missed. 
I started reflecting just a couple, couple months ago. I was staying up till midnight every night to watch the NBA Finals. Three plus hours a night to make sure I got to see those get right. Suddenly four hours and 51 minutes. I don't think I get there. But I do spend quite a bit of time watching television. Right? I do make time to watch the game that I want to see. As I read through those statistics, it says we spend like 8 or 9% of our time uh, shopping or online. Right? The things that we give our time to. And so what I'm driving at, my point is that, is I would just challenge you one thing to keep a log of how you spend your time. It's very revealing very quickly. It's kind of like when you start writing down all that you eat. You ever done that? Right? You start writing down every single thing that goes in your mouth. Oh, where did that come from? Right? Like suddenly you've got this whole list of all same thing. Do that with your time. And what I think you'll find, and this is where I'm going with this, is when we say I don't have time to do that, that's just an excuse. I'd say for probably 95% of us, it's just an excuse. To say that we don't actually have time, I'm not sure that that's true. But then the second reason I, I hear this frequently, but it was also in this statistic, is sometimes we don't read the Bible and we don't spend time in it because we go, well, I have a hard time understanding it. I pick it up and I try to read it, but it's really difficult. How many of you read a book, magazine, anything during the week? Anything. The TV guy, right? Anything you read, right? You read something. Now, when you read, if you read a book, how many of you pick up a novel and flip to the middle of it and read a paragraph or two in the middle of the book? You ever do that? No, it'd be absurd, right? You'll be lost. You'll be like, I don't know who the characters are. I don't know what's going on. Why? This doesn't make sense. But yet that's how we treat the Bible. We spot read, we flip open and we read a few verses and we treat the Bible like it's a magic eight ball. Right. Shake it up. Remember those? What does it say? Put your strength, O Zion, on your beautiful garments. What? Right. And then we go, well, I don't understand it. My point is, whether it's we don't have time or we say we don't understand it or whatever we fill in the blank with, I think that the reality is those are just excuses. We've made excuses on why we don't spend time in the Bible. And the truth is, if we get honest with ourselves, there's a deeper heart issue going on there on why we don't. I had lunch with a good friend uh, this week who we're spending a lot of time. We're actually reading through the Gospel of John together. And he would say he's not a believer. He would tell you I'm not a Christian, but I'm very interested and I'm thinking about it and I'm wrestling with it. And I sat with him and he asked me, what are you preaching on? And I told him a couple of these statistics and we started talking about it before we looked at the book of John together. And my friend said two really profound things. The first thing he said is, is if you're not a believer or you're not sure about the Bible and he's talking about himself, I'm not exactly sure. But even if you thought possibly there's just a small percentage chance that this is the God of the universe talking to you, wouldn't you at least want to know? Right. And that's what he was saying. Like, I'm reading it because I want to know. I'm interested to know. And I went, yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. But then the next thing he said to me. Right to the heart of these statistics, he said, if you profess to be a Christian and you believe the Bible is the word of God, you believe that God has spoken to you in this book. He said, how in the world can you read People magazine before you read the Bible? I said, I don't know. I really don't. And he saw it so clearly. 
what often inside the church we miss. Right? If this is God's word and he's spoken to us, we treat it like, huh, right? I can make four hours to watch a football game, but I don't have time to read the Bible. And so when I read Hebrews and what he says here in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, The good news came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. I want you to listen carefully to what he says there. We struggle oftentimes with reading the Bible and making it a priority and seeking God in that way. And I think a big part of it is there's areas of unbelief in our life. We don't live like we truly believe this is God's word. Now, we say this all the time. I'm not saying if you didn't read your Bible this week that you don't love Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. That's not for me to decide. That's between you and God. That's your relationship with God. You go before him and seek him on that. But what the Bible tells us over and over is what we believe gets played out in our life. And so when we treat the Bible like it's unimportant, there's a strong possibility that we don't believe the Bible's that important. And so we struggle with areas of unbelief in our life every single day. We say this all the time. Discipleship is growing uh, in who you are in Christ, beginning to live that out. We say this all the time, bringing every area of your life under the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus. Right? And so we don't read our Bible and we put it aside. There's parts of unbelief that maybe we don't believe the Bible is quite what it says it is. And that's a struggle and we're continuing in that. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean you're not saved. That's not what I'm telling you. But I am telling you there should be some deep reflection of why I treat the scriptures the way I do. Jesus told us, John chapter 15, to abide in his word. He says, when you do, you're going to bear fruit. And he says, you're going to have a great joy. Your life is going to be better. You abide in my words and I will abide in you. And he tells us that and he points us to that, that you will be nurtured and fed this way. But here's the problem. It's kind of like a catch 22. We don't trust it or we're functioning in unbelief. It's not really that important. So I don't read it. And so when I don't read it, I start to shrivel and then I don't want to read it. And it goes around and around and it gets worse and worse. And we continue to just not go to it. And so I'll just be real frank with you. If you're struggling in all these different areas with your joy, your rest, your different things, and you're not ever spending time in God's word, there's a direct correlation there. That's what Jesus tells us. And so if we say we want to be disciples and we want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life, and he says, you abide in my words and I will abide in you and you will have fruit and you will have a joy that goes beyond everything else. There's something going on there that we're not believing And so that's for you to go to him and wrestle with him in that. If you love Jesus and you want deeper intimacy and you want to grow in him and you want to see that, then you will spend time in his word because that's what he tells you to do. And so here's the question. You have to come to grips with where you are in that. But I want to give you a very practically helpful encouragement, I think, 
on why this is God's word. And I believe with my whole heart that it is. Oftentimes we'll say things like you grow up in Sunday school and you say, well, why is it God's word? And we open the Bible. We go to 2 Timothy 3 and we say all scripture is breathed out by God. The Bible says it's God's word. Right? It got to be like 15. It was like, isn't that kind of like a circle? Right? The Bible says it's God's word, so it's God's word. So the Bible says, right? That's true. I believe that to be true. I actually believe when you read the whole of the Bible and you really spend time in it and you really look at it, it bears that out. But I want to give you just real quickly a couple of broad strokes outside of the Bible that points to it being God's word. I've done this a bunch at different times, like in Sunday school classes and different things. I don't think I've ever mentioned any of this in a sermon or or very little of it. And so I just want to give you a couple practical encouragement of why I believe this is God's word. And if you're, if you're seeking Jesus and you're drawn to Jesus and whether you'd say you're a Christian or you're just enamored with him, the first place I would tell you to start is to go read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 50% of the people don't know that that's the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And they tell Jesus his life. And I would just encourage you or challenge you to look at the way Jesus looks at Scripture. Jesus' view of Scripture They had the Old Testament when Jesus was walking and the way he views it. And what you get real quickly is everywhere he goes, every time someone asks a question, every time something arises, Jesus' answer is, it is written. And he points you back to the word over and over and over and over again. Good times, bad times, most frustrating times on the cross. He's professing uh, he's quoting scripture over and over and over again. And so, like when we talk about prayer, right? if we see the way Jesus prays and then we act like we don't need to pray, there's some disconnect there. So the same thing when we look at scripture. Oh, I'm good without it, but yet Jesus lived his life in it. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong when we say we want to be a disciple of Jesus, which is looking just like Jesus in every way. And we go, "Ah, yeah, I don't really need that. I'm okay. And so I tell you to start there. But more than that, just outside of that. So step outside of the Bible for just a second and just consider the facts of what we know. The Bible is written over a span of 15 to 1800 years, depending on which dating you use. It's written on three different continents by 40 different authors that include fishermen and kings and shepherds and scholars and a doctor and all the a terrorist that was killing people that he thought were against Christ. You realize a big part of the Bible is written by a guy that would be a present day ISIS kind of guy. Right? That's Paul, by the way. And it's written by all these different people who had no way of modern communication in any way, but yet it comes together in this cohesive whole that tells the story of God and what he's doing. Just on its face, this book is absolutely miraculous that that could happen. But then you start to step back and you look at it and the copies that we have and how we got it and you trace those things back. This is the most attested book in all of antiquity, bar none, and it's not even close. You can look at all of ancient literature and all the different writings we have, and what you have is from the time they were written to the first copy, the first manuscript that we have, it's like 1,500 years in most cases. 
Usually 1,000 to 1,500 years. Within 100 years, we have fragments of the Bible. In 200 years, we have almost complete copies. In 300 years, we have complete copies. And we have tons and tons and tons of them. And what that means simply is this. That what you hold in your hand is what was written down 2,000 years ago. We can prove this. You don't have to take this on faith. We can do it and, and recreate it from all that we have. Now, people will often say the Bible is just a bunch of stories kind of cobbled together over time. They're myths that grew up. The people that loved Jesus embellished a whole lot because they were so taken with them and they wanted to just have them be remembered and all these things. And so they made up a lot of the stories, they say. It's a very common one today. But the truth is, this is a book written by eyewitnesses account to what actually happened. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can go and research this and see why this is the case. And see, the reason that is the case is, is, is you may not know this, but today we have what we call uh, realistic fiction, right? You pick up a modern novel and it tells you it's written in a way like it actually happened whether it did or it didn't, right? And so you read a book and it talks about the, the character walks in and he's wearing khakis and a striped shirt and glasses and he's kind of balding, Right? And you go, you get a picture of what it looks like, like you were there, even though they made that up. Well, that wasn't invented until 1,500 years after the Gospels were written. No one had ever written realistic fiction, ever. It didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. And so when you open the Bible and you read in Mark 5, and it says Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat on a cushion... What you're saying is that Mark invented a whole genre of literature that wouldn't come into being for 1,500 years. Or just maybe it's an eyewitness account of what actually happened. And the answer is it is. Mark's account is Peter's eyewitness of what happened. And so when we read through the Gospels, we've gotten these books that are, that are reliable, that we can trace and we can know that they were. And they're eyewitness accounts of people who were actually there. So you read in Mark 15 and it tells us that Simon the Cyrene carried Jesus' cross. They grabbed him out of the crowd and he carried his cross. And you know what it says right after that? He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. What in the world does that have to do with anything? You know why that's there? You know why Mark wrote it that way? Because Alexander and Rufus were still around when he wrote it. He said, go ask them. Right? That's, that's an ancient footnote. If you don't believe me, go find Alexander and Rufus. They'll tell you. Right? It's eyewitnesses' accounts of what actually happened. And so I just put those things before you real briefly. And I know, I know I'm not going to convince you that the Bible is the word of God by a few little things like that. But the truth is most people don't know that. They've never really thought about it. They've never kind of followed those through. Actually, as you leave today on the table outside, there's a stack of just an outline that walks through those things. And I've done that a bunch. If you want to grab one as you go and read through it, and then come talk to me about it, I'd love to do that with you. I believe the Bible stands up to scrutiny. That it is actually reliable eyewitness accounts of what actually happened. And so if you're struggling with reading the Bible, of truly seeing how important it is, maybe just based on that alone, you go, okay, well, I'll give it a second look. 
I'll spend more than once a week or once a month. Maybe I'll start to actually read through the Gospel of Mark and see, yeah, does this look like an eyewitness account of what actually happened? And so I want us to be doing that. I realize I'm not going to convince you in just that. But I do want to end here in Hebrews of why this is so important. Why you spending time in God's Word, seeking Him, is absolutely vital to your growth and your life and your joy and all those things that we talked about. He says in verse 11, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 2, he's telling us it didn't benefit them because they didn't believe what they were told. They didn't hold it with faith. And then he says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Friends, when you open this, it's not just eyewitness accounts. It's not just reliable. This is the word of God that is living and active. It's not just a book. The good news is you start to open it and you start to read it and this incredible thing happens. The author of the universe, the author of the world, the author of you wrote this book. And you start to read it. And it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It begins to show you as you are and as the world is. You do get laid bare. We talked about that last week. As you begin to see it and work through it and talk about it and look at it and see what it says, it does. It brings you very quickly. There's a great, great quote in your bulletin this morning from A.W. Tozer. He says, an honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. I'm reading through the Gospel of John with my friend right now. And he reads through it, and there's Jesus telling you what it looks like to follow him, and why he came, and what he's doing. And you get to chapter 4, in the beginning it says, do you want to be healed? At the end of, four, or at the end of chapter 5, it says, you're searching for answers, and here I am. And it brings you so quickly, it lays everything as it is. And it begins to show you. And so when you read that and you see that, then it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to show you uh, the problems that you're having. It's going to begin to show you the answers, but it's going to show you something so much greater than that. See, John says at the beginning of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's not just a book. At the center of it is a person. And it's Jesus. And it's everything you are looking for. And he meets you right there. And he says, you seek me. And you ask, and I will give you my spirit, and I will teach you, and I will show you, and I will grow you, and I will bring you in closer. And yes, you will get laid bare. You will see what's wrong, and you will see the problems, and you'll see your struggles. But then in the very heart of all that, you will see Jesus and how he beats all of them. We talked about this last week, but that's the very next verse. 
You get laid bare, but then he says, since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us draw near and find mercy and grace in time of need. That's what you get. As you open it up and as you begin to see, it's not just a book. It's not just questions and answers. It's not just really reliable and kind of nifty the way it all fits together. It's actually living and active and the God of the universe meets you here. And we go, I don't have time to read it. I'm too busy. I need to shop for something else on Amazon. So therefore I don't have time to seek God in the way He's told me that He will be found. It doesn't make any sense. But so I just challenge you as we end this morning to stop and ask God to show you. Ask Him to speak into you. Take that before Him on how you spend your time. If you're not seeking Him in His Word, the wonderful thing is He will convict you of that, but then He will point you to Jesus. You're not saved by how much you read your Bible. Thank God. You're not saved because you read it every day. You're not now excluded because you forgot to read it last week. What you'll find in the midst of that is grace and mercy in your time of need. And so I just encourage you, wherever you are, to begin to make that a daily practice. Put that in. Not as a way to pat yourself on the back or say, look at how good I am or look at what I did. Because that's where you meet the living God of the universe. And he's gone to great lengths to be known, to know you, to show you what he's like. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for sending us your son. I thank you for inspiring the words of this book that we might know you. We might see you fully. We might grow in our relationship with you. We pray that this morning uh, that you would just show us. We thank you for the conviction of your word in our life, but we also thank you greatly for the mercy and grace that we receive from you. That is all you're doing. That's not what we can do. I pray that we would just see that so clearly. I pray that our hearts would be overflowing with a deep desire to know you and be known by you more. And that would drive us to seeking you in this wonderful uh, book, your living words that you've given us. I pray that we wouldn't be people who worship your book but that we see that it points us to the glory of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.